Hi everyone and welcome to Nettie's Corner, a podcast about all things mental health and mental wellness. For today's episode, I have a dear family friend of mine, Louis Rivera. He is a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Florida. Louis has been practicing social work for 10 years. He's currently a clinical director at a program. He's been a supervisor. He's worked with juvenile youth, teens, families in different settings, both in Connecticut and Florida. He has a wealth of information about generational trauma as someone who has gone through traumatic experiences and who's helped people heal through traumatic experiences. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Stay well and take care. Thank you so much, Louis, for being on the first episode of Nettie's Corner. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Negus, for inviting me. It's definitely a pleasure. I am so excited for this episode because um, I, don't, I don't know if I told you this, Louis, but when I asked my listeners if there was something that I haven't addressed that they want me to address, they said generational trauma is something that they wanted to hear me um, talk about. It's something that I'm learning myself is important for me to understand in my healing while I'm talking to my therapist. Mm-hmm. So... And you have just a wealth of experience. So I'm excited to have like you as a Latino male, your, your perspective, you know, your identity as well. And over 10 plus years as a therapist, correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. I, yes. As a licensed clinical social worker, you sometimes I think we therapists uh, tend to be afraid to to work with this, you know, with trauma and with clients that go through trauma. But at the end of the day, uh, when you go into this field, you don't pick and choose. You know, you mm-hmm. have to work with and feel comfortable working with all types of population. And trauma is one of them. So, and, and I'm glad that now, finally, in 2019, going to now 2020, mm-hmm. people are aware of, tri- you know, they know the importance. And it's good that we're talking about these things. And I'm so glad that you started off saying that because, as you know, you've known me for like so long since high since I was probably in high school yeah that's correct so you knew I wanted to be a therapist and you and I've kind of looked up to you in different ways and what what I can do when I get older but I always steered away from trauma Mm. and for some odd reason I thought that trauma was a completely different thing than like what I wanted to do I didn't realize that we all have experienced trauma (laughs) like I can't avoid it No, it it is true. And I was reading uh, to get ready for this uh, podcast with you. I was reading, you know, kind of refresh uh, my memory and checking out data. And one of the things I saw in one of the SAMHSA website is that 61% of men uh, and 51% of women had report exposure to at least one lifetime traumatic event in their life. For me, that's huge. You know, 61% of men and 51% of female. So it, 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 it's, a, it's a huge number, uh, which for me was very surprising. That is huge. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that that's a perfect segue, Louis. Can you tell us um, from your experience, what are different forms of trauma that a person, an adult or a child can go through that can impact them? Well, it, it, there's a lot. So we definitely have, which I'm going to go with I feel that the top ones, which mm-hmm. definitely are, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse, 
emotional abuse. Uh, out of those three, emotional, uh, I feel that it's the most difficult to mm-hmm. uh, to identify uh, because then we go into like culture and parenting and it, it's other things. But you know, those are the t- kind of top three that you um, have seen uh, that is kind of the most that people are dealing with. In top of you know any death or any type of um, accident, not, you know, car accidents, or when they feeling that their life is in danger. But mainly the three that I mentioned before are the kind of the top three, the ones that I had seen a lot. Okay. And you both work with adults and children, correct? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. So from both of our knowledge of, you know, being trained in social work, we know that if a child has gone through a traumatic event, even if they've gone to therapy and they work through it, that trauma stays with them as an adult. Yeah, that doesn't go away. I think that's the one of the misconceptions uh, when people go to therapy is, oh, you as a therapist, can you, you know, take that away from me? I'm no, you know, it, trauma, it, it becomes part of you. Doesn't have to define who, who you are uh, or what you do or the actions you do in the future, but it's part of you. And I think that's what we need to start kind of changing our, our mindset uh, that is not going to get away. It's not going to go away. Okay. It's part of who we are. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. But there are people who I know personally that haven't gone through physical, sexual, or they don't identify with having, being emotionally abused. Would you um, say that there's abuse based on your, like, maybe maybe growing up in an urban neighborhood where there's a lot of violence or um, not being in a supportive household, like what kind of trauma would you consider that? Well, that would be more definitely uh, emotional. Um, and, and again, um, when you as a person, you as a child, you feel that your life is in danger, that's trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if it's an environment, you live in a bad neighborhood, you hear uh, gunshots, you know, natural disasters, like I'm going to give you an example. I have one of my sister. Uh, she was in Puerto Rico when the Hurricane Maria mm-hmm. uh, passed by. And she she lived through, you know, that uh, hurricane. And now she's living here in Florida. Uh, and one of the things we were talking about, and she was telling me that she was experiencing, you know, some anxiety. And, you know, when she gets very anxious and ed- on edge all the time. So we were mm-hmm. talking we we found out that you know it was because of that traumatic experience again she didn't lose her life she didn't thank god you know she didn't lose her house but being there when the hurricane was going through which was really really bad she had you know she had developed anxiety because of that so again it, she wasn't directly affected uh, on the sense of losing someone's that she cares life or you know losing her house but she experienced that and and now she she feels that she had that traumatic event and she ha- now has some anxiety uh, related to that. So right. it, it it is there, you know, it is there. It doesn't have to be necessarily as, as we say before, physical abuse or sexual abuse. It's when you feel that your life is in danger. Right. So a tra- a traumatic event because I've I've had this conversation with a few people that they're like they're using the word um, traumatic or triggered a lot because you know self. Um, so self-care, mental health, wellness, a lot of people are talking about it now, which is great. Mm-hmm. As a child, as an adult, if you experience an event, right, that either causes you harm or puts you in danger, 
that can manifest in you having certain symptoms and possibly having a mental health diagnosis. Yes. Yeah. And again, and as you said before, traumatic event doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, oh, I wasn't sexual abuse or, mm-hmm. or physical abuse. It could be the emotional part. And, and, and I think that's a huge part that I think a lot of people are not paying attention uh, like attachment, and mm. and if you had a a, ch- a rough childhood, you know, no 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 one childhood was perfect. We all had something, you know. Right. We didn't grow up in a perfect uh, family or perfect home, but we all kind of deal with all the situations differently. And and and, and that sometimes the attachment, maybe having not a mother that is not present, mm. that for you, you know, it's is traumatic. <laughs> it's yeah. traumatic. Yeah. So it is, it, is, it is very broad, and I think that's what I'm happy that people are talking about it, that it's not just, I was sexual abuse or was, you know, physical abuse. It, it, it's broader. It's, it's more. It's bigger. And I, I love that you mentioned attachment because there's a lot of books right now that I've been, um, that are my reading list about attachment because any issues with attachment as, an, as a child with your parents manifest in your relationships later on which i feel like is a whole different episode mm-hmm. oh it's true <laughs> yeah, it is you're true right. that's a lot the attachment <laughs> theory is a lot and maybe you can come back to talk about that but um one thing that i'm seeing a lot is generational trauma so can mm-hmm. you explain to me lewis because you've touched upon it a little bit what does generational trauma look like how would you define it yeah i will i tend to define it as a traumatic event that began years prior to the current generation and has impacted the ways in which individuals within a family system understands, cope with, and heal from that trauma. Does that make sense? Yes, that was so, that was so beautifully put. Can you say that again? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I tended to define it as a traumatic event that began mm-hmm. years prior to the current generation mm-hmm. and has impacted the ways in which the individuals individuals within the family understand, cope with, and heal from that trauma, because we're all different. And can you give us an example of what yeah. that would look like? Yeah, I could definitely give you a different example. So if we have a father, we have a family of a mom and a dad, and we have three kids. And the father is suffering from an untreated severe mental health disorder, mm-hmm. which is causing him to engage in some harmful behavior tower the daughter, one of the daughters. So this daughter is having endured years of this emotional and this psychological abuse. Now she's older and now she's still feeling, living that through her life, you know, through her adulthood. So as a result, she begins to exhibit many of the same behaviors Mm -hmm. of her father, which is leading to her own children exhibiting similar behaviors. So that's what, you know, intergenerational means. So you go through a trauma and then you can process that, you know, work through that. And then when you become an adult, you continue that path. You continue that path. I, uh, and it goes into the other kids, other children. Yes, yes. No, that's, that's perfect because um, it makes me think of things like uh, as simple as, okay, so the holidays are coming up, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this, notion that in Latino families that you're supposed to um, <laughs> bring, have somebody with you at the holidays. Yep. And then there's like this notion that you have to like have a, a partner 
mm-hmm. and then later on be married know, having kids right exactly <laughs> and while you may like push against like your parents then you become that parent then that's telling your children like yeah novio like all this other stuff mm-hmm. is that yeah. like kind of is that related as well is that generational trauma it, it, it is related uh you know when we go in, we talk about uh, expectations and we go into you know culture wise it's it, it is it can be because again you know if you have if you go through i'm going to give an example uh, and it's gonna, I'm going to be very personal, as I said to you before. Mm-hmm. I'm coming from a big family. We mm-hmm. are eight siblings, and I'm the oldest of eight. And I remember with me, you know, in my head, when we had um, Christmas and Thanksgiving, my grandmother, you know, suffered from depression her entire life, her entire life. So for me, Christmas and Thanksgiving, it was depressing. It was because, you know, she would not do anything. She would not celebrate anything. She would be in bed by eight o'clock, you know, at night uh, on a Christmas day or a Christmas Eve, which the typical Latino family, they are celebrating, they have music, they, they're dancing. So one of the things, so I grew up in that environment of, of that depressed person kind of kind of controlling uh, my feelings and, and the way that I had to, you know, kind of behave for the holidays. So now as an adult, one of the things, and that's one of the things we have to kind of make a stop and, and said, I am not going to do that. Uh, it could be easier for me to be in a holiday and just be depressed in my house. And I, I refuse to do that. So that's kind of more of the intergenerational trauma. So you, you, it's a pattern and that continues. A pattern uh, of behavior. Yeah. Exactly. Until you decide, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, and that's when, you know, you kind of make your own um, Belief on your own things within your own family. I call it like, you know, you're in a bubble. So now that you have a boyfriend, Amneris, I imagine in the future, you know, <laughs> when you start, you know, getting ready for Christmas and the holidays, which I know for your family and my family, it's, it's always a chaos. It's always yes. an issue. It's, <laughs> it's always an issue. <laughs> but you have to create, as I call it, uh, I call it the bubble. So you have to create your own family. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of emotionally detach from all that crap uh, that it's, a, it's imposed by your family that doesn't, you don't have to take it because you don't want to, you know? I, so, I love that, Louis, because I definitely want us to talk about breaking the chains. But for those who maybe are not in our world, why is it that we adhere so quickly to these behaviors that the generations before us put on us, and why do we repeat them if we know that they're problematic? Be, I think because we don't know better. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think we, we don't know. And even as a therapist, I struggled from, at the beginning. It took me years. And I imagine you can also relate to that because we're human as well. I think people feel because we are therapists, we, we know everything. We know how to handle every single situation. Mm-hmm. We can, you know, we, we can fix everything. And, and it's not true. We also human beings. And I think because it's what we grow up, we feel that that's what it's acceptable. And I have to do it. This is the correct way because my parents that's told that's me to we were do told. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, and we don't know. And it's very scary for us, for every person that goes through that traumatic event or, or this relationships with the family, the unknown, you know, if it's okay, you know, to 
don't want to spend the holiday with my family. I just want to sp spend it by myself or with my own family, meaning, you know, your husband, your partner, or your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever you want to spend it with. Why I'm feeling guilty. It, it, it's about spending the, the, the holidays or the time with the people that you feel comfortable with. And something is not the family. It's unfortunate, but it's not, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's why I think one thing that I'm loving about the conversations people are having and things that are on social media now is that people are trying to break the chains. They're trying to change behavior, but it's also very painful, Lewis, as you know, as a therapist mm -hmm. and as a patient or client, that when you start recognizing the trauma that your parents, grandparents, uh, and family put you through, it can be very hard to work through that. So mm -hmm. I think there's two questions. But first one is, how do you help your loved ones heal from their trauma and recognize what it is when you get that that that's a tough one that's a tough one because again we we can help them but we are not their therapist and i think okay. that's one of the things when i be i i don't know that happened to you uh but when i became a therapist and i started in this field i wanted to fix everybody and i wanted to be the one uniting the family trying to resolve everybody's business and problems and and we're all going to be living, you know, happy ever after, like in Disney movies. But in reality, uh, it's not our responsibility. Uh, we can make them aware of the situation. But it's up to them to, first, wanted to hear it. And second, wanted to change that behavior. And that's what I think it's when we all kind of struggle with. We totally uh, struggle. That reminds me of my sister. Yes, yes. Right? You know, we both know my sister very well, and she's probably going to listen to this, that she yeah. <laughs> is somebody that recognizes that people put her through things because they experience trauma, and she wants to help the people, right, by mm -hmm. teaching them. But some people cannot be taught. No. And no. this question that I'm asking you was asked by one of my friends because, you know, she mm – -hmm is wondering about this with her family mm -hmm. and it's hard Lewis because you're telling us that we really can't help them because you know they have to they have to be able to help themselves yes and, it, and it's tough because it's your mom it's your aunt it's it's those people that you really love and care but again it, it's not your responsibility your, your responsibility is you know of course it's not that we're going to be we don't want to be selfish but if they don't want to help themselves uh, and they want to continue in that path, why you have to go there with them? You know, you're here to support them. You're here because to Because they're impacting them. our relationship because our relationship is in jeopardy. So then how exactly. do we cope with that? No, and that's why I think it, all of that has to be an internal process. You have to identify first, um, this is affecting me and have a conversation with them mm -hmm. because it's affecting me I need to, and I use this a lot in my personal life and when I'm working with clients, you have to emotionally detach from your family, which is really, really difficult to do uh, because you have to. And they're going to they're gonna regret you. They're going to be mad at you because you're not the same person anymore. But your, your sense and yourself, it's important as well. And sometimes we have to detach from them. When I, when I mean detaching, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to stop talking to them. I'm going to stop loving them. No, it's I'm going to be there for you. But when it's getting to a point that it's affecting my myself, my mental health, my thing, I'm going to detach myself. So I'm mm -hmm. going to 
walk away. I need some space. I need to, some time to, to deal with this. And I think that's what we struggle because I think in our culture, in the Latino culture, and I, I'm, and I think in, in all the cultures, then we feel guilty. Oh, we, we're back, Absolutely. you know, we're back kids. We, you know, our parents are going to think that we don't love them anymore. Absolutely. Yes. And they, and a lot, a lot of them, and you know this, a lot of them use that car as well. I don't love me anymore. Or, you know, after everything I had done to you, look how you pay me, you know. No, it's, 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 that's not what we're talking about. It's about the emotional uh, detachment. I, I, I need to take time for myself. I need to detach from you. That doesn't mean that I don't love you, but I need to work on me first because this is affecting me too much. And you know what, Louis, that that all sounds beautiful in a perfect world, but uh-huh. it's hard because, you know, because we both try to do this in our own lives, mm-hmm. we're going to be called selfish and we're going to be thrown to the woods and we're yeah. going to be casted out. So if you know my person, you know, you know, my situation and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So how would how would someone who still wants to have a relationship with their mother or father or a sibling or a friend detach from that friend, but still be there for them? Can you do both? You, you can do both. It, it, it's, it takes a, a while, to be honest with you, because it had took me years and years to, to get to that point. I still need some, you know, work to do, you know, but I'm, I'm getting there very slowly. What happened up there is I, I always tell people and, and my friends and, and my clients, we all have a child inside. Mm-hmm. We all have a child inside of us. So, but we have to able to control that child, not having the child control us. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, because right. we, we will act out because somebody has heard, our, has heard our feelings, which is what a child would do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what, you know, as an adult, you know, we want to spend some time with our parents. We want to do A, B, and C, but that when I say controlling the child, then as an adult, you have to cognitively be thinking about, do you think this is going to be a good idea? You know, do you think, you know, so that's what I said, you have to kind of control that child inside of you, those impulses that wants you to do A, B, and C, even though you know that at the end of the day, doing that is going to affect you. And you know what, Louis, we, I'm glad you use that word impulsive, because I think we, we, we act on emotion a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and as a therapist, and earlier you said something about um, recognizing that you wanted to help everyone when you first got into this field. I feel like I, my third eye is what I like to call it, mm-hmm. didn't really open until my current job. Because, you know, my social work uh, career has kind of bounced all the way around. Yeah. Now that I'm doing long-term outpatient therapy, where you're actually like unpacking people's trauma. And then I started going to therapy and then I had my private practice. I started to realize that a lot of the things my, my, my patients were going through, mm-hmm. was some of the trauma that I wasn't addressing and it was manifesting and me getting upset, me crying, me getting into arguments, me being mean to my partner, me canceling mm-hmm. someone. And that was me letting my inner child take over. Yep. And I would say, too, uh, I mean, one thing that's obvious that you haven't noticed, I mean, you haven't said, but it's pretty obvious, is that if you're in the situation where you're trying to create boundaries or figure out how to emotionally detach from your family or loved ones, you should probably talk to a therapist about it. Oh, you do. And and one of the things, uh, 
that happens to me. When I went to this field, and I also supervise students that they're kind of brand new, they're green, uh, they're in the bachelor level or the master level, and even those that graduate, I always said to them, are you going to a therapist? And mm-hmm. they, it's funny because everybody looked at me like, like I'm talking in another language. <laughs> and I said, you have to do it. And I, and, I, and I told them, and I'm gonna be honest, when I went to this field, I have a very important professor at UConn that told me the first, I remember our first meeting, he said, I recommend you to go to look for a, a counselor, a therapist. And I'm like, in my head, growing up as a Latino man, that we were, I was told that, you know, man doesn't show any emotions. We don't talk about our problems and all that, you know, stuff that our culture tell the kids when you're growing up. Uh, I'm like, I'm not crazy. I don't have to go and see no one. I'm okay. You know, I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, so, and I ignore that in the entire process. So, and when I graduated, um, the first client that I had to work with, it was someone that reminded me of my mother. And I remember telling my supervisor, oh, I cannot work with this person. Can you reassign her? <laughs> and she said, no, I'm not. Mm. not you know, no, I'm not. You have to work with her. So that's when it kind of, and even that at that moment, I said, oh, I, I, will, I will work through this. I am not, I don't need a therapist. I don't need to do this. So, but then you go through life making so many, and, and you know, so part of my life, you know, jump into relationship to another and, and, and mm-hmm. leading to all this crazy situation when at the end of the day, it was those attachment issues that I had with my mother and my grandmother mm-hmm. that until I realized I need to do this for myself, that's when I, I said, you know what? I need to look for a therapist. And it was the best decision uh, that, I, that I have made in my life. Um, I hope my husband doesn't listen you know, to this because then he's going to say, oh, he's not marrying me? No, it, that's the second one. <laughs> that's the second one. But the first one was looking for that therapist. Uh, and, yes. and, and, and because you need at, it. At the point that you... Um, found your therapist, it was because you were kind of in crisis and in need, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, have you continued working with that therapist even about your growth or? Unfortunately, I, when I moved to Florida, um, we had to kind of, you know, we kind of touch base and, you know, now and then, um, but because now I live in Florida, um, we kind of lost kind of contact. So I'm, you know, one of the things, because as you know, life goes crazy and, we don't usually don't take care of ourselves. One of my goals for now for 2020 is go back to counsel, go back to therapy and try to identify. And the, you know, the important key in looking for a therapist is you need to have that connection. If mm. you don't have that connection with a therapist, it's a waste of time. Absolutely. And I think once you find a good therapist, stay with them. In your case, you, you know, you moved, I started, I went through four therapists. I, you know, I started one when I was in crisis when my dad passed. And then, um, then I had to change because it was through my job. And then I found someone that I didn't really like. So it takes some time, but I am always recommending to friends and even on this podcast that therapy should be like going to the gym, getting sleep or drinking water that you should consistently go. Don't just go when you're in crisis or you're going through a, a transition in your life. Mm-hmm. It, it is very important. It's very important because, again, you, you, you go through life and you're going to have those triggers. You're going to have one of those, you know, you, know, you had those days that I don't know what's going on. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling, you know, a little bit anxious, but everything is fine. I have a good job. I, everything is fine. We're in relationship, you know. So what, what is missing? And it's that part. Again, it's, it's that 
stuff that you need you still need to kind of work on and and, and it's really good that you know and i'm glad that you mentioned i'm nervous the self-care <clears throat> sorry self-care and looking for that person that mm -hmm. is going to listen to you and understand what you're going through absolutely and it's so nice even though we like to use our friends and family as therapists or our partners <laughs> mm -hmm. it is good to talk to a third party who's who's going to 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 be good for you um mm -hmm. One thing you mentioned, Lewis, was triggers, because one thing that, and I'm going to use a personal example, for example, with um, people in my life that they, that they don't necessarily think that they've gone through something traumatic, but they're, have, they're starting to have symptoms that they started to, that they've been in a traumatic situation. So could you um, kind of explain, not so much explain, but describe what some of the symptoms may be that you have gone through something traumatic and you may need further intervention or something like that for someone who maybe has never gone to therapy mm -hmm. and has no idea like what symptoms of like anxiety, depression or trauma is. Definitely. We're going to, you know, I think it, 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 it goes both. We have those, you know, those the mental health kind of symptoms like depression, anxiety, you know, kind of feeling empty. Uh, you kind of go and jump from one relation to another. Uh, you always look for chaos. Um, you know, we have those kind of symptoms. Then we also have those um, physical symptoms mm -hmm. like chest pains, you know, stomach aches, headaches, dizziness, having difficulties falling asleep. Having one of the things I learned from, you know, that when I was in therapy, dreams. Um, what the dreams is telling you. A lot of us have dreams and we say, oh, I had this crazy dream and, you know, it's about this. But sometimes our unconscious, and I'm a strong believer that dreams, it's our unconscious telling us something yes. that, you know, you have to kind of work on. Um, I know for the Latino culture, dreams mean something different, but um, it, it, it's, it's, our, it's our unconscious, you know, consciousness telling us, you know, you have this that you have to work on. So it's paying attention to those, you know, having the pain, chest pain, as I said, headaches, dizziness, uh, feeling tired for no reason. When you feel kind of empty, having anxiety out of the blue. If you never experience anxiety and one day you're feeling like having like a panic attack, mm -hmm. let's check, you know, maybe it's something else going on. One of the things I always ask when I'm doing a first assessment and they're displaying anxiety symptoms, I said, do you talk to your doctor? You know, we had to kind of check if it's that related to any medical condition. And mm -hmm. I said, yeah, the same thing is fine. I said, well, something else is going on in here. Um, that it's not just, you know, depression or whatever. It could be something else. And, and another thing, it, you know, um, there's 90% of people that go, they are in mental health. 90%, again, that was another percentage that I saw on SAMHSA. Uh, they are in treatment. They went to, you know, they had a traumatic event that they don't mm -hmm. talk about. Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things. Yeah. And that's one of the things that you have to kind of be aware. You know your body. You know, when you have those friends and we all have those friends that you see them that they're going to a destructive pattern, behavior, relationships, that's a red flag. Something it's, you know, happened to them that they're going through that path. Substance abuse, uh, drug abuse, mm -hmm. all those kind of things are kind of symptoms that you can see something is going on. There's a red flag here that Absolutely. we had to explore. Absolutely. And, and I think all of us wear our trauma outwardly as well. When you were just talking about friends who are going through different things, 
My favorite example of trauma that maybe somebody won't, won't recognize is, I'm going to use my boyfriend for an example. Mm-hmm. He was um, in school, uh, he was playing basketball, and he tore his Achilles, which is very painful. I think he was like bedridden for like eight months and had to learn how to walk. Oh, wow. And then he like had to, he was like bedridden, then he was on crutches, um, had to learn how to walk, was very fearful. I think at some point like gained weight, obviously, because uh, he wasn't exercising. And when we started dating, it had been a year since that event. Mm-hmm. And he was fearful to go to the gym. He wouldn't play basketball. He was always, he was like almost walking around like his Achilles was still like in pain. And one thing that I, I kept telling him was that, babe, you probably don't even realize, but your Achilles probably isn't in pain. But the, but the fact that you hurt yourself there, mm-hmm. the pain is probably still in your brain, but it's probably not even real. Like that's, yeah. you went through a traumatic event and he, it took him a while for it to mm-hmm. set in, but it was a traumatic event because he wasn't, it, it impacted him to a way where it, um, triggered depression, anxiety, because of all these other things that happened in his life. And now he's, you know, he's better and stuff like that. But that's an, a perfect example for someone who maybe isn't really sure that something, but something like that is traumatic, get into an accident. I remember, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but when I went to Puerto Rico, I twisted my ankle hiking. Yeah. That, to me, that wasn't like traumatic because I'm just clumsy. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the trip, I was like anxious I like didn't feel comfortable and stuff like that. So there's a trauma that, you know, we're talking about that's severe, right? Like sexual abuse, physical abuse, mm-hmm. you know, going through like some kind of war, experiencing a natural disaster. But there are events like, you know, your parents getting divorced, mm-hmm. you're having to move away from your family, um, you know, moving to a country where you don't know the language, things that maybe didn't cause you like direct harm, but impacted your well-being. Mm-hmm. And, and your boy and your body is going to react to that. And I'm glad that you brought that um, that example of your boyfriend. You know, maybe he's going through all of this, and you know, yeah, he's like, "Oh, I'm fine now. I, I forgot about that." But then, when he went to the gym, that was a big trigger for him. Mm-hmm. And all those memories came right back and kind of hit it in his face, like, "Oh, that's something that I haven't dealt with it." Um, so going uh, to the gym which is a, a normal thing that every, you know, person, not every person, but, you know, it's like a normal activity. Um, and for him, it was a big trigger. Absolutely. I think one time, too, we were watching basketball and somebody um, somebody tripped and hurt his Achilles. And he was like, that made his Achilles hurt. His Achilles hurt. Yeah. Seeing somebody else mm-hmm. twist their Achilles. Yeah. Our bodies, like, speak to us in, like, ways that, we don't even like listen to like we do not listen to our bodies as well as no it. we we don't we don't and that's <laughs> what you know later on we have uh, you know heart conditions and we have strokes because we are not listening to our body and, and now i'm glad that mental health is changing to more into a holistic approach mm-hmm. uh and we incorporate a lot and which i do as well when i'm with clients you know meditation you know music dancing breathing, walking, because it is a holistic approach, not just take this medication and you're going to feel better. Uh, it's not. It's, it's more of a holistic uh, approach. Absolutely. Um, especially, and I think in the beginning, people who have never been diagnosed with something and 
um, are having their first symptoms of depression and anxiety, they rush to doing the, um, the medication and things like that when there's other ways that they can improve themselves. So because it is, a, it's, it is a quick fix, I'm nervous. And, and I had this conversation with, with my grandmother, again, she's 78, 76, and she still doesn't know how to deal with depression. And she went to a uh, PHP in Puerto Rico, and she's like, oh, I like it. And I saw the doctor and, she, you know, they prescribed me this medication. I said, Grandma, they, there's no <laughs> a cure for, you know, they're not going to give you a pill and then you're going to, everything is going to be peaches and cream. Right. No, no, that's not how it is. You need to talk. You need to participate in group. You need to, whatever they're telling you that you need to do, you need to do it. Well, we don't want to because it is scary. And sometimes we don't know how to deal with all those emotions at once. Uh, so the easy route is let me take a pill and go to sleep and then I'm going to wake up and feel better. And that's mm -hmm. not what happens. Absolutely. And like psychopharmacology and like medication and how one thing is going to help one thing, but then you get a symptom and they give you medication for something else. That's mm -hmm. a whole different conversation for, you know, yep. definitely. but we've touched a little bit upon, you know, what the symptoms are, what it is, but we've talked about how or what to do to help someone else who's going through to recognize a generational trauma. But when we start to recognize like, wow, there's these couple of behaviors that I'm doing that reminds me of my mother and I don't want to be that kind of parent or I don't want to be this kind of person to my partner. I don't want to be like this to my friends. How do we work on breaking those chains? Cause that, that's the biggest Thing that I keep hearing, breaking the chains, breaking the chains, breaking the chains, so that we can be better people. Well, I think first you need you need to be ready to making those change. Uh, if you're not ready, you can say, "Oh, it's like every year with every resolution." How many people had said every December 31st, "I'm gonna lose weight, I'm gonna start a diet," and then we say it, and then two weeks after January, we go back into the old habits. We yes. have to have a desire to actually change. Um, and I think that's the first step. We need to be able to say, I want to change and mm. be aware. You know, this, it's every, if the same thing with substance abuse when, you know, there's so many people that go into, and even with mental health, they go to their, you know, in therapy for the entire life or their, you know, but they have to make that choice. Um, I want to change. Okay. And, and, and started from there. I think you had to kind of look at the mirror and said, I could do this. And I, you know, it's funny because when I tell people those self-affirmation, they work. People said, oh, that's for crazy people. How, you know, how saying, you know, I'm beautiful. I could do this. Those positive reinforcements are, are going to help. Yeah, they're going to help you because it's the negative stuff, those negative, those cognitive distortions that we have in our brain all the time, what is not letting us break that cycle. Right. It's, it's not allowing us to thrive because it's like a revolving like narrative that, oh, you know, nope, you can't succeed. You're always going to be like this. You're, um, you're a failure. You know, you like cannot failure, do this. this is etched in your, in your cloth and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say, Louis, on your end has been one behavior um, that you've been trying to work on to kind of um, the generational trauma that you're not going to you know, put on your kids or your family and things like that, or your partner? I, I think one of the things I used to, one of the behaviors I identify um, is that I tend to push people away. Mm. So when I'm feeling 
close to someone, like I know a lot of people, and, and you know this, I, I, I'm acquainted with everybody, but with those people that are very close to me, when I feel in they're getting close to me, I push them away because I felt that I was not good enough for those people. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, when I met, you know, my, my current husband, it was that, like, I, there was a time that at the beginning of our relationship that I pushed him away. Like, no, like, I will find something to create chaos so mm. he could just walk away because I was not worth enough. I was not good enough for yeah. him. And that was a narrative that you were told that you were not lovable, that you were yes. not worth it. Yes, because I created that, you know, and that's how everything is related because I wasn't, I didn't grow up with my mother. I grew up with my grandmother. My grandmother was great. I have not complaints about her. She was not the emotional person. She was not the lovable person um, because she went through a lot of her also trauma. She was in a DV and all that kind of stuff. But I grew up lacking of that emotional support. So growing up in my head, how I process this is, so I'm, I don't have it is because I'm not good enough. That's why I don't have it. And that's what I said, that attachment from when I was a child continued for my entire life affecting my relationships because I felt they're going to push, they're going to push me away when they know who, who I am. So before they do that, I'm going to push them away. So or that, I get, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say, how did you begin to, um, to fix that behavior? When I move, uh, I think when I, I, there was a time in my life that I kind of hit uh, rock bottom and, and I said, you, you know, you kind of have to kind of work yourself. I said, do you want to continue to go to this path? <clears throat> do you want to, you know, continue pushing people away, jumping into one relation to another? And, and, and that's when I said, no. And, and I know, you know, that's when I said, I need to stop. And all of that happened after my wedding. Having my family at my wedding, and you can you you were here for that event. Mm -hmm. it, that was a big trigger. And I said, you know what? I can't. I can't do this. Oh my god! Um, you were so triggered, Louis. I remember yeah. that. Aww. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's when I said, I I can do this. You know, I cannot. I I can. I'm. You know, I'm older now. Why this is happening again? And it took me a while when the event was was over and everybody left and I was by myself and that's one of one of the things a lot of people are afraid is to be alone you can be mm -hmm. married you can be with someone but having that alone time to kind of go with your process and your emotions and 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 work through those things that makes things a little bit better I think we are afraid to we don't want to be alone I don't want to talk about it no and that's what kind of I had those moments of you know I need time for me and, and kind of go deep down and see what's going on. And that's when I said, you know what? I want better for my life and I'm going to stop this. And that's when slowly I started to kind of change some of my behavior and be more welcoming for love and, and be more affectionate towards people because I was not, I was not either. And I used the excuses like, well, they didn't show me affection. So I'm not going to be an affection person because I wasn't, you know, told how to be, but that's an excuse. You, you can you can learn how to do it. Right. So, and that's what, you know, again, that having that time for, for, for myself, uh, you know, is with what no one around me. Yes. The journey of healing. Mm -hmm. Now it's been a while since uh, you and your partner have been married. So how do you continue to manage that boundary? Like when you get triggered, what do you, how do you, what do you do to cope? 
w- one of the things I do to cope, um, I'm being honest with him, you know, and that's one of the things we, we don't, we, even as an adult, we don't talk about emotions. And we have, we all have those days that we don't want to be bothered. We just want to be alone. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. <laughs> that doesn't mean that I don't care for you, but I need time for me. And that's one of the things. And he's so good at that, that I go to my home and I said, you know what? Um, I need time for me. And he knows, like, let me give him alone. And to be honest, one of the things that had helped me a lot it's having the dogs i have two dogs no it is it, it is because again they they don't talk to you but having that presence and they're there for you uh it helps um so usually that's what i do i tell him i am not in the mood i'm going through stuff and you know then i took the time and and i have a special friend which is your mom i, I don't think she's my friend she's you know i call her you know my I don't want to say my godmother, but that mm-hmm. per- someone is special that I could talk about things. And sometimes we just want it to be listened. We don't want to hear anything to give me any input. I just want to just vent. But what happened is, and that's why it's important, and I said, I need to go back to therapy. Sometimes I call your mom to talk about however I'm feeling, but she's bringing her stuff <laughs> so it's like okay so now I'm more <laughs> more overwhelmed how it was an hour ago <laughs> so, so funny because when you when you and I have had conversations about my mom and I'm like I can't talk to her and there's people like my friend like there's people who can talk to my mom and get advice from her and I'm like she has never given me advice what are you talking about so be- because you what happened because we get defensive and that's what yeah, when yeah. i set up before about controlling our inner children child inside of us <laughs> because that's when it, they that you know that child comes up and I'm, she's like you're pushing like why are you telling me this why you're saying this because i have done it too you know uh but it, that's why it's very important so that that kind of awareness of what's going on and, and wanted to change it's painful this is not peaches and cream because it's not. And it's a, a process that goes in a day, you know, day-to-day basis. Um, and, you, and you definitely will get there. Absolutely. And I, and I can say, Louis, that I am working on that myself on my therapist. And that's one of the things that kind of prompted me as well to talk about this. Because I was telling, um, I was actually telling another friend and in my own clients, like this, that when you recognize that, there's behaviors that are problematic in your family or there's things that you're doing that are learned behavior that you don't like and you're trying to break the chains or you're starting to realize that your parents are a human, that they're struggling with mental health too. So they don't know really how to talk to you. So you have to work that out on your own. Yeah. That's a really like fucked up kind of feeling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's painful. And like you said, it's not peaches and cream. So we have to kind of be more sensitive to the fact that the people around us are struggling and we have to do our best to keep the boundaries and not listen to that inner child that is going to react in a childish way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, so yeah, cool. it, it, <coughs> and No, it is. It is very important. As you said, we, it's be aware of, you know, and as I said before, that's when the, emotional detachment kind of comes along. You know, I understand that my grandmother has depression. I understand that my mom, it is how she is. And talking about my mom, it could be a two hour episode. Uh, But 
have, you know, I understand I need to put the boundaries. Like I love her to death, but there's get to a point that, okay, I'm going to get her to here. And I understand why she's acting this way. It's not my fault. It's not my responsibility to change her behavior neither. The same thing with my grandmother. I'm here to support. I'm here to love, but to, up to here. Uh, because it's not, it's going to go to then having that inner child coming up and it's going back into the same cycle. Absolutely. And I think one thing you mentioned, which, you know, to close this out, is that it really starts with self-awareness, Lewis. Mm-hmm. It really starts with you figuring out that this is something that you don't, well, first figuring out um, that this is something that you're going through, mm-hmm. that your parents have gone through, that you're doing that is causing someone else harm, then realizing you need to work on it and spending time on your own to work on it. Yep. And I could definitely say that for myself, I was living with my mom for, well, I was living away from my parents and then I moved back. I live with my mom, then I have my own place. I moved back with her, and now I have my own place. I can say finally now the appropriate distance between her and I, which is me having my own apartment but being in the same town as her, has strengthened, strengthened excuse me, our relationship. Mm-hmm. Because I'm close enough so if she needs anything, right, so I don't feel any guilt about not being there for her, but I'm further away where I can kind of develop my own life. And, it, and I've come to appreciate and love her in different ways as an adult. And I think that that's my ability to grow as a person and not letting uh, past trauma get in the way of our relationship. Yeah. Which also it's good that you are. And but that also takes time and mm-hmm. it takes both of the parties, both people involved, willing and wanting it to make that change. But if you can, let's say for an example, you, you, you're going through all of this, but your mom's still stuck in her old habits and old ways. She doesn't want to work in that relationship. She's going to push you away, you know? And, and, and I think that what, you know, that's how this relationship something works is you understand where she's coming from and she kind of, maybe not at the moment, she could also understand where you're coming from. And then you kind of meet halfway and then you can have a better relationship you know, like with other family members, we can't. So that's why I'm like, okay, we're not ready to get there yet. Right, right. Uh, when you, we are, then we can work on this. And it's okay to say that to them. Absolutely. And, and tell me this, if you experience this, Lewis, but I experienced that when I emotionally withdraw from people, they start to notice and try to change behavior. Have you, have you um, noticed that? Oh, yeah, I have noticed it. Uh, they change behavior. They either then blame you. You're the one what's going on with you. Uh, right. <laughs> or, or they actually don't understand, you know. Yeah. But one of the things I, after my wedding, which was kind of the big, you know, kind of shift on, on my way to see things, it's moving forward. Uh, I don't care who you are. You can be my brother. You can be my sister. You can be my mom, whoever, you know. I'm going to tell you how I feel. And what are my expectations? You know, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm this perfect person um, because I have flaws too. But we have to work with, you know, through this. If you're not going to meet me halfway, then you need to keep moving. And 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 it's hard. And I had started to do that. And honestly, there's a lot of people that are not too happy about it. But I know at the end of the day, in the future, our relationship is going to get better when you're ready. Exactly. And I think it's, you put up the boundary, you communicated with the person, and now it's allowing them to come to you when they're ready and they're willing. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that's just beautiful, Lewis. And I really feel like if I continue talking about my own stuff, that we'll be here forever. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, me too. Um, so that's what I said. If we talk about our families, we could be here like for hours. Four hours. And yes, because we've had long conversations. So <laughs> I really appreciate you, Lewis, for launching, you know, for, for helping me have this conversation. I, I feel so honored because you have a wealth of experience and, um, in the social work field and in life. And you helped me out a lot. You're very close to our family. And I love like how much our relationship has grown. I just had to say that. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you, Neris. And I was, you know how happy I was when you, because I was, I've been a fan. I haven't watched kind of the last couple episodes, but mm-hmm. I, I was a fan of your show. And when you mentioned to me that you, you want me to kind of, uh, be a guest speaker and talk to you about this. I was I was really happy, and I'm like, wow, you know, it it it's good, and uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here with you. And I remember that little Abneris, the hyper, <laughs> all over the place Abneris, <laughs> and and of now how you have become, and, and I'm so proud of you. Thank and you. I know you I'm definitely still hyper. <laughs> oh, I, I know you're still hyper, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it's not the the. the the other type of hyper, you know, I were, no, were to say, no. you know, that you didn't finish a conversation when you're like jumping into something different. Um, so, but I'm so happy again and, and so proud of you and everything that you had accomplished. And I know you're going to continue with uh, a very successful program and a lot of, you know, successful career. Yes. And I think I'm going to have you back to talk about some of the other stuff you mentioned. <laughs> oh, okay. I definitely, definitely will. Um, just to finish our episode and wrap things up, I'd like to ask, my guest for some rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask you three questions and you're going to respond with either a word or a phrase. You ready? A word or what? Or a phrase? Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh my God. I feel like I'm in those game shows. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Um, first question. Best advice that you've ever been given? Be good to yourself. Mm, I like that. Um, Sorry, wow, I cannot read my own handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) When you die, what do you want to be remembered for? He lived his best life. Mm, I love that. And how has love shown up for you this week? Mm. When I look to my husband's eyes every morning. Oh. I don't say it a lot, and I know, you know, we have to say it, but, you know. I love that, Louis. Uh, thank, thank you again so much for being on the podcast, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Maris.